0: This is the Nomad Futurist podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. This is Nabil Memo, with your host, Nomad Futurist from Kona, Hawaii. This is Phil from Brooklyn, New York.
1: And this is Amy Marks. I'm here in beautiful New Jersey.
0: Amy, thank you very much for joining us. So tell a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you are, where you're at in your career.
1: Sure. My name is Amy Marks. I am the head of industrialized construction strategy and evangelism for Autodesk.
2: Before we go on, uh, I just want the audience (laughs) to know who we have with us. We have a woman that goes by many names. Some people refer to her as the queen of prefab. I refer to her as the Kim Kardashian of Colo. She is a legend, not only in her own mind, but in the (laughs) minds of everyone that that, that have met her. How does one, who is now, you know, the chief evangelist of Autodesk, uh, you know, a huge multinational company, which is actually fairly recent, so we'll get to how that happened. How does one get from small town, New Jersey, USA, to being the chief evangelist,
1: queen, queen? Of prefab. It actually says that on my business card. I could show it to you. That is a long card. Isn't that business cool? It's very it. cool. I grew up in Long Island, New York, until I was about 12. And then I moved around a lot. But my dad and my mom started a general contracting business in their basement that ended up growing to build about over 20 million square feet now in New York. And so I grew up in the business base. And I think when I went to college they were basically, and I graduated high school at 16 and I was like kind of lost. I was always bored in school, to be honest. Um, and I, they were like, whatever you do, just don't go into construction. I think it's not so great <laughs> for women. And I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do that anyway. So I don't know what what I should do. So actually my undergraduate degree is in public relations uh, from the university of Florida. And like, I basically walked up and a bunch of girls one day said like, hey, you look really fit. You should play rugby with us. And I was like, let's play rugby. I don't know even what that is. And so I taught scuba and I played rugby and I was in like the top public relations college in the country. And all these women would walk in all pretty with like suits on just class. So I always said like I was either dirty or wet and walked into class and I just like didn't fit in at all. I was younger, I was dirty wet. And I was like, I looked like a misfit in every course like that I ever walked in the door for, to be honest. And I, I wasn't that great at going to class. I was like that girl that like read the book and took the test and got an A and really made everyone mad. <laughs> that was sort of, that was my MO. Uh, but I did have a lot of fun at the University of Florida, honestly. And uh, and then, you know, I think as time goes on, like I did a couple of cool jobs like on the way. So I did something like, you know, partnership marketing for Bertelsman at one point. I did... Uh, I actually had an advertising sales job that um, I went door to door, like they used to drop me in different towns to sell ads. And I I read lots of books like spin selling. And I was I would walk out with like a million dollars worth of contracts. And I think I made no money. But on my commission, I was like making, you know, high, high six figures. I was doing pretty well at sales. And um, and then really, my dad needed some help back at his construction company. And I went back to help him and realized like, wow, nothing's changed Like since I was a kid. And I came here and everything kind of looks exactly the same. And I worked with him. He's a really smart man. Uh, very difficult, to be honest. I think that's where I get... I, I always say I look shy and quiet compared to him um, for those people that really knew him in the space. And then in reality, I um, saw an opportunity to buy a modular steel and concrete manufacturer that did things like Um, embassies and telecommunications buildings and data centers. And I was a small minority partner in that and bought a company back in the day called Coleman. And then um, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now, left to start my own consultancy business that was just going to focus on large scale adoption of prefabrication, working with really big clients, mostly tech focused clients. And like maybe like halfway into that 10 years, a lot of my old clients started coming back and they were like, we need you to build these data centers, these little small subsea cable landing stations and data centers that no one else could really do. So we were like, all right, whatever, we're going to get back into the building business. So we had two parts of our business at Excite, one building these prefabricated small data centers that no one else wanted to do or could do, and also consulting. I, I like to think I was like at the top of the food chain working with owners and then like at the very, very bottom of the food chain. And, and I, I always say like I just never remembered how to change my conversation because I'm sort of always authentic. So I was the same person, whether I was talking like the CEO Or, like those guys that had just honestly crawled out of the primordial ooze. I couldn't change my language. So, that's really how I got uh, to where I was at Excite.
2: What a fascinating story. You know, I think like the goal of our podcast initially was to try to find people that like had like winding roads to get to the world of critical infrastructure. And in some cases, we've accomplished our task. You know, everyone has a different way they've gotten here because this is a fairly new industry. In, in general, in, in the grand scheme of things. But your story is kind of perfect. It's kind of exactly what what we're looking for, because I can't imagine playing rugby in the University of Florida while <laughs> going to school for PR. Like If you could talk to yourself at that point and say, you're going to be in the critical infrastructure business, you're going to be on yeah. panel after panel after panel with these thought leaders in um, in subsea cabling, and it's going to be you and like Gil Santoli's going at it on uh, on some conversation about uh, you know whatever. <laughs> so it's just that that blend of just bubbly you know marketingy stuff and being able to apply that to a world that you would think would be closed off because yeah. it's only you know guys in lab coats and whatnot. I think is is fascinating as you can tell. Yeah by just the cadence of how I'm speaking. So I'll slow down.
1: No, I mean, it is like crazy, right? So I like to say that like the world has changed and like my parents were wrong, but they weren't wrong. I mean, I still feel like I look around at these events and it's like, there are five women, you know, like it's easy to pick me out. I always say I'm the blonde in high heels. Just look around. I'll be like, I look like myself and maybe like, you know, one other person there maybe, which funny enough, you know, I just never let it bother me in the sense that um I always use it to my advantage. Like I always said, listen, all you guys in suits look alike, all you guys in polo shirts look alike. There's only one of me. And they always knew who I was because I wasn't shy and I spoke my mind. And I and I always said, like, you didn't have to like me, but a lot of people still listen because what I said was true. So, you know, it the, the truth, like they always say it's sort of the harder the truth to tell, the truer the friend that tells it. And I don't say things to be controversial. I actually want to, I'm the part that people don't know about me. I'm sort of like two sides of the same coin. Like that rugby player, tough girl. Like I played rugby for almost 15 years. And I think that's why men in the industry are always like, man, that girl goes toe to toe. She is not afraid. I'm like, why would I be afraid? Actually, after I played at the university of Florida for women's rugby, I went and moved to Miami and there was only a men's team down there. So I actually played for a men's team. I played rugby down for a minute. I was on like the C side, you know, like, of course I wasn't like on the H side, but I was like, I don't care. i want to go toe to toe with those guys. If that's the only way I can play, I'm going to play. My daughter plays for an all boys U12 rugby team right now. That's tackle.
2: Yeah. Apple and, does uh, not fall far from the tree.
1: I'm saying she didn't want to play for many years. And then I was like, uh, Hey, it's tackle this year. She's like, I'm in. And I was like, Ooh. <laughs> I know where you get that from. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, look at the end of the day, I'm not going to lie and sugarcoat things and say, like, it's easy and being a woman in any of these spaces. It's not, it's hard. I mean, like last week, some guy actually said to me, you're so aggressive with me. And I was like, wait a minute. I'll whistle. I'm like, Oh, I know. I was like, Beep. I was like, hold on a second. Let's just stop the meeting.
2: You and haven't I, seen aggressive yet. Thanks I for reminding I'm me. Like,
1: actually, I thought I was being on my best behavior. That's like actually the funnier part. And he wasn't older than me. Funny enough. He was younger. And I actually, I know the leadership of the organization he came from. And I was like, listen, there were, luckily enough, this is crazier. There were three younger women on the call with me and him. And I said, I don't know if anyone's taught you this, but there's this word called microaggression. Like, first of all, don't mansplain to me what my business is. I was like, secondly, you can't say those things anymore. And there's three women on the phone. Funny enough, he excused himself off the call and wrote apologies apparently to those women, not to me. But I said, you know, to the women on there, do you you have to ask yourself, do you think he would have excused himself off the call if we were three men and me on the call? No, he would have just pummeled me. Right. So I was like, it's not easy. It's still not easy. And I remember, I remember the,
2: uh, I had you um, in in like a a board meeting. I think it was an OpenIX board meeting that we had uh, in my data center, if you remember. And I remember (laughs) the first thing out of your mouth, and I was just the host. I'm not. I wasn't even a member of that thing. The first thing I remember was like, "Look, I have one rule: M- women cannot take notes in my meetings." That was Thanks. that was the one rule. Uh, and then I started taking notes, even though I wasn't part of it, because I was like, "Okay, <laughs> no, don't don't take any meetings. My God, don't take any notes. Don't." please. No,
1: I'm like, I'm I'm like, like well, so. i like, why is woman always the scribe and she never gets to like talk at the end? I'm like, <sighs> I I, I let her. I never. I just tell everybody, I'm like, there, no, like, women will not be the described. Now maybe it's like shifted a little bit. To One Direction, but like I, for years, have said, I'm like I'm not. Don't woman explain to me, Amy. I know um, there like, are
2: there, there yeah. are two words that I think uh, perfectly capture what you're saying. One of them is a, a theme across a lot of our podcasts, which is uh, confidence. I mean, you have to have confidence in yeah. both what you know and what you don't know, and you can't yeah. be afraid to to show that, right? And the other is, and this you cannot train this authenticity. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, when you talk yeah. about, you talk about <laughs> the fact that you're the same, whether someone's a CEO or someone's on the bottom uh, of the barrel, that is unique, I think, certainly in our industry. And, and Nabil can chime in on this. But you know, what, one of the things that I love about you know, where we currently are right now with our stay-at-home things is like all of the emperors collectively have no clothes at the same time, <laughs> right? I was never, I mean, you know me, right? I've never been a particularly formal person to begin with. But I I am not going back. If somebody claims that they're the CEO of some multi-billion dollar organization, I am hearing their kids scream in the background. I am hearing their dog get in the way. And I'm seeing them, like, zip up their pants um, during the beginning of the Zoom calls because they forgot that they just came out of the bathroom. Uh, That's why I almost insist on every Zoom call being video because I want to know. I want to be in that guy's house. And it's just, it's it's something that I love so much. And I think the people that are authentic and have that type of confidence are only going to continue to excel in all verticals because, yeah. you know, the veneer of formality, I think, has been stripped out with everyone being in the same boat. Uh, with respect
1: to this. It's true. It's just, you know, it's a little bit, honestly, it is a little bit harder for women in that case. And I say that, you know, look, I know there are plenty of guys I'm on calls with too. Their kids come up in the middle and they want to talk to them and they want screen time and all that stuff. And my daughter came to the door in the beginning of this and said like, she just lost her homework in the digital black hole somehow, right? So it happens. And I was like, no, no, mommy's on a podcast. But the um, the, the little bit that's a little bit harder for women is that, all these books and all these things that everyone's talking about being our authentic self and to be the, you know, I always go back to Matt Dixon's, the challenger book. And I met Matt Dixon. I'm like, so I get it. The challenger makes better sales than the relationship builder. I'm like, all the advice you gave out in that book. If a woman did that, (laughs) we're toast. Like I do that anyway, authentically, I don't care, but you're basically telling women to like take charge of the meeting, challenge the client's like opinions on their business. Like ask them these hard questions. Like what happens to women in all these meetings when they do that like it is not the same result when a man does that and i feel like there needed to be a condendium to that book cuz i guarantee you of the sample size there were probably not so many women that they actually interviewed in that like conversation so i'm like in some ways like yeah this is all great but if we don't recognize and look you know it's what everything that's going on in our world right now i by no means would i even intimate that i have any understanding of what it's like to be black in this culture in america today The only hint I have of that is being a woman that walks into a project with 80 men in the room and it's just me and them. Like, they know I'm the only woman there. I, you know, like I'm not black, but I am definitely different than everybody else. It gives me some empathy, honestly, and some understanding when I'm listening to what's going on, because like, you know, if you've never experienced anything like that, even like, and again, I can't say mine is like of the, of the anywhere of the magnitude, like I have a a hint of that from being in this space but you know it's all relative in some ways like you know it 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 feels bad sometimes when you walk in and like you know you don't look like everybody else and listen unfortunately in our digital infrastructure space we have to take some responsibility like we are the worst sectors for diversity and inclusion <laughs> this is going to sound awful so you're going to love this i'm sorry i have a 12 year old it's great that people wanna to talk to her about the digital infrastructure space and construction and STEM, but she's 11. Like, I don't have time to wait for her to get up to our space. I get angry because I'm like, there are plenty of people in our industry that are of minority status and women that get treated like crap every day. We should probably like focus on some of them and some of the minority and women-owned businesses before you teach my kids to get in our industry. You know what I'm like? I, I love that. I know. Hey, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I get it. And by the way, there'll be plenty of people that will do programs and they should to like do more STEM and get more engineering into kids and like in minorities. That's fine. But you know what I'm like, if you don't have women in your leadership, I used to say all the time to the big like, digital content guys, I'd be like, hire my company. At least your people will see what a woman CEO looks like. And I can like, negotiate in front of them. I can talk tech in front of them. And they'll actually see somebody who looks like them because none of you look like me. And like, it's gonna take a long time to get somebody like me up at your ranks. So like, if you can't get them there, at least surround yourself with companies that have leadership that looks like some of the people you're trying to like grow up. You know, like it's gonna take too long when you deal with my 11 year old. Like I get really annoyed. It's like- I mean, you, graduated,
2: you graduated high school at, uh, at 16, your 11 year old could be CEO in mean, <laughs>
1: pretty, pretty, pretty short order. Well, but you know, here's the thing. I never hear people talking about the fact right now that like there's going to be a lot of people out of work in this industry in like in the in the country, other countries, even other geos. Right? I always think we're too, you know, America centric, in every multinational company that has a headquarters here. That's first. We always have to be globally thinking. But there's going to be a lot of people here um, that are out of work. Like, this is our opportunity. And I, I don't hear anybody really talking much about that. Like, how do we attract people that are going to be out of work now that have different skills? How do we get moms to come back from being moms into the workplace? It's funny. I hear a lot of, that's my point. I'm like, I hear so many programs about high schoolers, but what about moms that are trying to get jobs after raising kids? Like, I hear zero about that. And they've already been educated. They already have skills. And trust me, you know, you're married. Your wife has skills you could never have by being a mom. You know, like... And I just believe that, like, again, every dad that like wants to come and write me an angry letter that they have skills like I do, Um, co-parenting, bring it on. I'm sure it's true.
0: That's all well and good. I'm a a man of color here as well. Yeah. Plus a man that's actually got a little bit of an accent. So that doesn't help the cause either. But I believe, and I want you to share your thoughts as it entails to it being just an American issue and a cultural issue versus racism and sexism by definition. I I don't believe racism and sexism are taught, and they are by definition. It's very culturally driven.
1: Oh, culture, you know, as they say, each strategy for lunch. Like, I don't think you have to teach racism. I think it it just permeates through your culture and then it be, you know, racism begets racism. Like I hate to say it like that, but it's also not an American thing. And believe me, I go to plenty of co- countries where like they have me there as a speaker or as I'm working there with some, you know, C-suite executives, and they love bringing in their assistants to meet me because they're all women in some of those countries and they have no, they don't know who else to like introduce me to. There's no one to talk to. And I'm sure if I were of color, they would do the same thing. And I think in America, we tend to think like, you know, colored, like, skin versus non-colored skin. I don't mean it in that way, like uh, the word that it sounds like, but it's like-
0: yeah, made you yeah. Com- uncomfortable there.
1: It's an uncomfortable topic, right? I- I'm fine. I wouldn't
0: with- say so. It I is what about. it is. I'm a brown man and I'm proud to be brown.
1: I believe in the world culture, not even really just the American culture. So I think we have to just be, first you have to talk about it, right? So interestingly enough, we had a listening session at Autodesk where we had- um, Black American and also um, Black uh, uh, people from other countries coming and talking about their stories about racism that they've encountered. We all just listened. It was not interactive. It was a listening session. And it was fantastic to hear just to really soak it in somebody else's experience because we rarely get a chance to just listen like that. I thought it was very good. I thought it was really helpful. And I walked away and actually Andrew, our CEO said like, what's the one thing you can do, whatever that is. And, you know, I talked to my staff about it and I said, for me, I, I was telling them the story about the microaggression about being a woman in the meeting. And I said, like, I'm going to continue to speak out and show others it's okay to speak out when somebody has done something and wronged you, even if it's small. You know, and I'm going to do that not just for myself, but I've always been, as you know, like in the industry, I've been a big talker about diversity and inclusion, diversity of thought, you know, diversity of color and background and really everything. Like for me, I just, I'm, I always say I'm not a feminist. I'm a capitalist. Like I think diversity of thought is what actually gets us better product. So it's not that I want to see a woman just because she's a woman. I just want to see diversity of thought. So the one thing I'm going to keep doing is keep speaking out. I just don't, for me, I'm brave enough and I don't feel like I'm going to ever get enough. Like backlash doesn't, as my own company ownership touched me somewhat, you know, it's hard to run a company as a woman owned company, but I don't care. I'm going to keep speaking out and give other people I hope and somebody to look at that they should also speak out too when it happens to them because it happens every day. I mean, I think companies
2: uh, are run by people. And I think inherently people are creatures of comfort. So it just becomes, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You do things, you hire people in the same way you've always hired people in the past, in large parts, based on physically where you're based, which might have, you know, its own, you know, diversity constraints. And I think a lot of the experience that we're seeing now is we're no longer, this trend has gone on, but we're no longer really tethered to a physical location anymore, right? So I think one, One of the inherent benefits of, you know, whatever you want to call the new normal or whatever, is that because, you know, remote work or work from anywhere, whatever you want to call it, it's certainly the norm now. I think it'll continue to be, you know, more prevalent even after uh, COVID-19 goes away or whatever. It, It just opens up all of these windows where expertise is going to be valued. Productivity is going to be valued more than, you know, simply who can commute to the office more regularly.
1: Exactly. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I, I used to use this expression. I don't, I probably haven't said it in a while, but that whole pale male and stale conversation of being like older, over 55, white and male in leadership, you know,
2: I noticed yeah. that number has creeped up as, as
1: you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm 49. So I kept, I moved it up to 55. Now here's the funny thing about it. Like, and Nabil, I say this to you. I'm like, I would say something different if we were all in leadership and we were under thirty and we were all Latina women. I would say some other phrase. But the fact of the matter is, we're not. So I have nothing against older white men that are in leadership. I don't like, and it's not like I'm racist against even just them because they get very upset when I have said that phrase. And I'm I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying like it's not good to be homogeneous of any one type anywhere making decisions. We were at a show, you were at this show, I think in Monaco last year, we did an entire day about 5G. The only maps on the screen were of the US. Every man that was up there with the exception of one was from the US and they were white. I'm sorry. And then, and the kicker of it was we were talking about the fact that like, we're going to, this is going to be hard to solve and we're going to have to really collaborate and we're going to have to figure all this out. And I was like, if all, and I stood up at the end and said, if, if that's true, and you get all the people that I saw speaking today in one room, you're all going to say the same thing, because you're all the same person in reality. Like, you're all from the same background, same, like, like, if you're looking for collaboration, you kind of might, the guy from Africa right behind me all day that you showed the US map to, you, you can ask their opinion, like, it might be different. So, like, that's my only thing. Like, again, if we were all from, if you're in, in China, and you're, you've got a whole homogeneous, like leadership of one kind of person, it doesn't really matter what it is. Like you just need different people to have different perspectives, right? So that's my point about it.
0: Absolutely. I think it's, it's a mindset change as well, whereby cultures, religions, everybody needs to develop that level of confidence to come out and speak openly and not be afraid. I'm, I'm a proud American, but I believe we have actually created a fear factor and we've lost our voice in the last, you know, several decades. Yes. Uh, Changing gears, staying in our industry, just 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 for this particular podcast. You know, you you mentioned a lot about it being harder for women. This is relatively new when you compare it to the other verticals. The data center industry, the technology industry is only three decades old.
1: How about construction? We're not that young.
0: Yes, but it's a very hard (laughs) hard space. Right? So what, what were the things that you encountered in construction market space? that you, you know, found to be very difficult. And, and and what steps did you take to get deeper into that space and create that presence?
1: I feel like, again, like I use my differences to create competitive advantage and create carve out a niche for myself. Like I already look different, so I might as well do something differently. And I think that that really helped me. Like I was already you know, kind of elevated to some different plane. So why not take advantage of that? Look, at the end of the day, the other part I can say is I can say all the reasons. And every time some man has done something to me in the industry from, you know, putting their hands on me to like saying bad things to me, that's all happened to every woman in every industry. Almost, I would say specifically in some of these that are a little tougher for women, we all know what that's like, and we can't pretend that doesn't happen. Right. But I would say the other part that and 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 in some ways i can't do much about that i can speak out about it i can do whatever but like sometimes that that mindset just has to like go and retire and new people have to come up into the field right so but what i can say and what i feel like i have the most to change is how women actually treat other women in the space right because we've all experienced that and instead of actually uh you know we don't actually we see each other and sometimes we do one of two things we either like act as if it's a respite to like be with somebody else that's like us. And we never talk about work. And we like, kind of like, whoo, I always like, I say, I take my high heels off and, you know, take off my Spanx at that point. It's like, we like breathe a little easier, right? Like, and we don't really talk about work or the other thing that happens is we basically like lock horns with somebody that, you know, we think is like, you know, we're territorial. There's only, there's only be one spot for the one woman that could be in this one place, even though there's like 99 other men that are surrounding us. So I like to say like, Basically, one of the things I can change is to teach women how to be great with other women in the space. And when we've done that in some of our, you know, women in tech and women and women in subsea and, you know, a lot of the women's groups in construction, when we treat each other better and we use that time with each other to use our contacts and our knowledge as capital with each other, the same way men do we are so much more powerful than we could ever be and we're encouraged and we feel good about it. And so I feel like that's a part that we could change and we have our own control over that, right? Because we are all women that we could. You
0: know do you, know, you believe that men do the same thing?
1: What use their, their knowledge and contacts and like their, as, as, as capital. Exactly. Oh, hell yeah. Of course. What do you think golf is? That's, that's what, that's what golf is all about. <laughs> I mean, what?
0: That's only for a select few though. <laughs>
1: Well, again, like, you know, uh, it's golf, it's getting invited to the bar afterwards. And again, like, you know, listen, I like to, I'd like to say me too, like really helped us out the me too movement, but like you have men running scared that don't even want to take you to lunch now, or it's funny. Like I actually said, it's funny. You said Gil Santelis. Gil and I actually had this conversation once at a conference. He was like, well, you know, I would invite you to play golf if you wanted to play golf. And I was like, listen, you know, it's not that. It's not that I really am dying to play golf with you guys, although I can play golf and I'm fun to play golf with. I'm the girl that brings like cigars and like a flask. I'm super You're fun You're not to supposed play golf.
2: to tackle at golf, Amy.
1: I know, but I'm really fun at golf. And I was like, it's not that I'm dying to play golf, right? Or dying to go to the bar. It's that, listen, I couldn't get where I'm going to be in life unless I was aggressive, unless I was a pit bull. I, I, I relish that word, by the way. I'll bathe in that anytime somebody ever calls it to me, even though they shouldn't, but I will. Because- well, I couldn't be a mouse and get where I am like that. Like that's obvious. Even one of my guys said that one day to one of my clients, I told him, man, your, your boss is a pushy broad. And he was like, what do you expect her to be? She's got to deal with guys like you that call her a pushy broad. You know, like that's, that's why she is a pushy broad. So I said like, you know, look, I'm not dying to play golf, but like knowing that I'm trying to get ahead in this industry, which is my job, I only get so much time face to face with you. So you only get to see the pitbull that's trying to sell to you, trying to like change you, trying to do whatever you don't get to see. And this is me of two sides of the coin. I'm actually like really sweet to hang out with and fun and like nice. And like, I would get a lot more social capital with you when I have to be the pit bull that you would understand me as a person better. And we don't get that opportunity as women often because men don't want to really hang out with us that much. Well,
0: it's not I don't believe it's that. So I personally believe in equality. I don't care the culture, color, religion, race, sex. It doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant. But all these movements and rights and so on and so forth have actually potentially put men at risk even to have a conversation with a woman.
1: Well, I mean, it's I a mean, bloody
0: HR nightmare to have a conversation difficult. and be open and say, hey, would you want to hang out? Would you want to go play golf? Now, Phil, would you love to play golf with me? It's like, the answer is yes. Okay, we work together, Amy. That's a very difficult conversation to have because it could be perceived in in, in a wrong context.
1: I think there's let just equality. Say, let me say, before
0: we get to that, yeah. uh, they're, uh, they're, they don't allow Jews on golf courses. Are you
1: crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think, I think it's, you know, there's, there's a difference between equality. I'm trying to remember what Dr. Robert Livingston says. You you also have to adapt. And then there's equality, right? It's like equality. If you like, I think he has a picture actually of people trying to look over a fence and we should all have the opportunity to look over the fence. And one person gets to stand on a stool to make it equal because they're just not that tall. There's a difference like between, between those two concepts, right? Equality would be like, too bad. You just get to step up to the fence and what you see, you see. Then there's, you know, equality with making some adaptations that makes everybody equal. That's what we don't have. You know, like we don't have people that, honestly, like that write job descriptions that don't, you know, exclude Minorities that you know, we—it's proven. Like when they whitewash their, you know, uh, their resumes, they get more opportunity. When they whitewash their, you know, applications for housing, they get more opportunities. For, that's true. When and so we can't just say like equal. Everybody's got to fight for themselves. We've actually got to make things. Um, level,
2: level the playing field.
1: Level the playing field. Thank you. I'm, I, was, I was losing the word. We have to level the playing field a little bit. And that means just sometimes being more aware that things can't be the way they've always been. You can't write a job description that excludes minorities or women subtly without actually writing that. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's now algorithms. You can put all of your job descriptions through to make sure that you haven't done that. And we need to invest in tech more like that and teach that so that we don't do it inadvertently.
0: Absolutely. But it's also a cultural change as well, whereby got to put men at a little bit of a confidence level as well to have the same conversation that you will have with another man.
1: Oh, I don't think there's any man in the world that's ever had a conversation with me that doesn't think it's like having another conversation like with any other man. But, you're an, <laughs> but you're an exception to the case. You're an
0: exception to the case. If you do that to other women in the industry or invite yeah. somebody to go golf or to dinner or whatever, it could be construed wrong.
1: I know. I think the way that you get, you get past that is just saying what you just said. Like, I would really like to go to golf with you. I'm like not that great at like communicating with members of the opposite sex. Like, can we just like, let's go play golf. And if there's something I, like, I would really, I had a guy actually say to me this week, like after this stuff that went on, he said, I don't ever want to be that guy, Amy. And I said, just the fact that you're telling me that and like, you're asking me if you've ever done anything like that makes you not that guy. Just so you know, like, I now know that he's never going to be that guy because he's smart enough to ask me, how do I not be that guy? So I feel like if you just communicate that oftentimes you're halfway past the battle. Well
2: I think that's where confidence comes from right I mean what is it sun, sunshine is the the most sanitizing force um, yeah. right so if you just call it out and call attention to it when it's happening it does a snowball into these other things and if you know women that are in that vulnerable position felt comfortable historically in saying you know I'm not going to do this uh, and and we're able to you know not necessarily let you know the power structure and the bureaucracy bureaucracy of, of a situation impact them. But right. I have to agree with, with you and shy away a little bit from this idea that I mind that men are being knocked off the pedestal a little bit. I think it'll even out. But yes, I think it's fine for men to be scared for, for a little bit. They've spent plenty of time not being scared. They can be scared a little bit before we generationally, we just get to a more, let's call yeah. it, what are the kids call these days? Wokeness
1: wokeness. You know, it's funny. I was sitting at a conference last year and I was at like a little table. They were doing a facilitated session. And one of the big content providers, a big wig was there at our table. And he actually said, I don't want to call him out because we're friends. And he said, you know, while we're talking all about this, we don't want to go too far. Like, we don't want you as women and minorities to feel like you only got here working for us because we've gone too far. And like, it was sort of like affirmative action. And I was like, trust me, you're not even close to that. When you get close to that, I'll raise up my hand. You know? And I was like, wow, do you actually think you're even like, and by the way, this is a company that just started their supply chain diversity program like two years ago. I'm like, trust me, you're not even close to going that far yet. So it's like, really? Like, and by the way, the person that said it was not a white man. So uh, I found that to be even more interesting. You know I
2: what I like, love about that story? What I love about yeah. that story is you're not going to call him out, but if he listens to the podcast, he'll know who it is. So oh, you know, that part of it, He I knows love.
1: who it is. We've had that conversation. You
2: about, know who you are out there. You know who
1: you are. <laughs> you know you. Look, at the end of the day, I-, I will tell you, like in the subsea space, speaking out wasn't always helpful. Like if- I would be lying if I said I didn't lose business because I spoke out. That you have to know. Nigel, Nigel is very sensitive. Okay. <laughs> he's amazing. He's actually one of he's, he was one of my biggest supporters, actually, in the space. And like he did, a, he was great, to be honest. But like I've had other guys that I'm not kidding. Like we lost a job one year. We did a job just like it a block away the year before, very successfully, and we lost the next job, and we lost it to another company. And they, I said, well, can you give us some feedback? And behind the scenes, one of the higher up said to me our team said Amy marks was very aggressive and I was like damn straight I'm aggressive you want that building to be in that foreign country like I'm gonna be aggressive for you like you do realize that and I thought what a terrible reason to lose a job um, that they cited that the CEO was very aggressive funny enough I thought it was actually on my best behavior in that in that meeting and that other people were very aggressive and I wasn't but I was like hey you know like don't you want, and that's like sort of the whole lean in thing. Like I have a, I have a love hate relationship with the whole like lean in, you know, tell people, well, I'm aggressive for you on your, as your advocate. Now I'm like, I kind of like, but you know, here's the worst part about it. That stuff works. Like, it's like, I wish it didn't, but it does. And so it's like, you have to like negotiate with your own authentic self, how willing you are to like, not be your authentic self to like, you know, listen, how many times in a meeting can I say, I'm sure you've thought of this before? But like we're all taught as women to say these things that are absolutely ridiculous, and instead, what we should be teaching ourselves is that when a woman says something in a meeting, which just happened last week in this industry, and a woman said a great idea, and like five minutes later somebody else said it, and they were like, "What a great idea!" and then I said, "Yes, I'm glad you guys have consensus that you know so and so this woman mentioned it five minutes ago. Fantastic!" and I went. So-and-so, what a great idea from five minutes ago. That's what we should be teaching women to do. Not going, I, I'm sure you've thought of this before, but, you know. You
2: know, you know the, um, the, the, the thing that I take away from all that and, and what I try to tell, you know, younger folks that I speak to is you always have to play the long game. I mean, yes, you could probably say something in the near term that's going to get you to where, where you want to go. But if you're playing the long game and you're authentic, and even if you lose some business or you gain some, whatever, um, eventually it'll come back to you because that's what, that's what people miss. That's what people like appreciate about yeah. you know maintaining long-term relationships is they know that you are the same you, whether you win the business or not win the business. It doesn't really make a difference. It's not transactional. And I think yeah. what we see a lot... Certainly in our politics today, and with a lot of you know the fat cats that that do a lot of you know um, you know backhanded negotiations in the corporate yeah. world. Certainly in, in construction and real estate, is this mentality of transactionalism, where you know it's not really about authenticity and accountability and long term relationship. It's about how much can I squeeze out of you. Right this second in this particular interaction, and it's not about you know building long term rapport. And if you if you have if you have that kind of long term view, and I know that I'm going to be talking to Amy Marks when I'm the 55 year old and 65 year old pale male stale problem when I'm the problem, even though that'll probably hey. be 85 year, years old at that point. <laughs> um, then hey, I'll, I'll I, I will not be. I will not be embarrassed by other things that I have said. Well, I'll certainly be embarrassed. Anyone that knows me knows that I'll be embarrassed by most of the things that I say. But at least I will have been true to myself. Yes. And, you know, and that's, I think, the best thing we can teach the younger generation is that that belief in who you are and not manipulating that because it'll be a never-ending manipulation if you try to, you know, present yourself in a way that you're not.
1: I would be like, Nabil, I'm going to turn it towards you. You are a man of color and you have a different accent. You've never taken it on the chin just to get some business, have you?
0: Oh, all the time. Uh, however, so there is actually a story behind that as well. I reckon that when I was a younger man, I had a voice and I would think about it, do it. And I was very opinionated. As I came to America and started blending into corporate America to be a rising star for that matter, I started working on changing my accent to become more Western. Yep. yeah. And then also started to say things that pleased everybody and, and, you know, every relationship healthy, yet it wasn't. And here, four years ago, I basically flatlined and put myself uh, in a position where I experienced death.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. When I went to Autodesk to move over to uh, come out of the industry now, the reason I did that is I was really a little tired, to be honest, of like fighting the good fight as a small certified woman owned company. That's the truth. And I also felt like I could do more for the industry to raise up the level of productivity and industry sustainability with a bigger platform and a bigger voice at a bigger company. However, before I went there, I sat down with the CEO, Andrew, and he would tell you this in the first conversation I ever had with him, I started out and he said, you know, why Autodesk? You could go anywhere. And I said, I don't know if it is yet. But save me the trouble of the rest of this next couple days if I cannot be my authentic self at this company. Because if I can't, you and I will shake hands right now and I will like walk out and it will be friends and it will be great. But I'm telling you now that I have no ability anymore not to be my authentic self. And if you don't want that, I can't come work here. And he said, no, we welcome that. And we want authentic people. We want different viewpoints. We are looking for diversity in thought. So like you, on that note, we're all good. And I was like, you know, it's one thing to hear that. And then I recognize, wow, all these things about, what they said in my interview about being authentic and having a different point of view and wanting to like help the, you know, cause really my, the big secret about me is I'm like a pit bull, but in reality, I want to, I want to help the, the world like it be better. And so it comes from a good place. It's actually just not controversy for controversy's sake. I want to make a more sustainable industry and planet. And I want, you know, people have great jobs and I want to see our industry survive, but I got, really in deep really quick with the culture of that company to see behind the scenes of what was real luckily i practice gratitude every day now look you know have being fought, like i fight the good fight every single day as a small woman owned business for a long time and then like seeing that there are good people out there there are good companies out there i'm sure there are others outside of August. i've seen a lot of great stories of what's happening now I feel like I don't want to go back to normal. Like you said, I'm ready to move on to what's next, which is better than normal. I don't want to do anything but be my authentic self. I don't want to like show, listen, I I don't want to be in any other space that doesn't look like me or speak to me or, you know, anyone that I work with or, you know, it's like those days are over.
0: Absolutely. And I reckon that pit bulls are aggressive, yet very faithful and loving.
1: I'm saying, like, that's the part, like, they're the mushies on the couch that, like, you like to pet and squish with you. That's sort of me. I'm like a pit bull that looks like a good house pet. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's me. But I suggest
2: that people that meet uh, Amy at conferences, if that
0: ever happens again, do not try to pet her. Or
1: anything. <laughs> no, do not try to pet me. Um, All
0: right, let's 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 pivot, uh, change the conversation to COVID-19. Where are yeah. you at? What are your experiences and uh, what implications do you see?
1: You know, it's interesting. I think we have a really great opportunity to reset in a lot of ways, aside from like working collaboratively. Talk about timing. A company that changed to a SaaS organization, SaaS company two years ago, and focused their efforts on online collaboration software. My friends were like, what do you have, like a, a crystal ball? Like you're, you've are you been there for three weeks and COVID happens. And I was like, yeah, but thank you. I like I think every good deed I ever did, like kind of came back in karma at this point. But- there's all this money that's about to be spent in lots of different countries on rebuilding economies and infrastructure and things like that. And I really think if we are smart as a, as a world, you know, we will attach some caveats to that money, right? You can't just give out that money and do the same thing we've done. That makes us not resilient and not, um, not resistant to things that are happening out there in the world that are going to continue to happen. Cause that's just, what's going to be right. So that money needs to be attached to things like first of all we have to expand the definition of critical infrastructure it has to include digital infrastructure it has to include healthcare infrastructure telecom inf- infrastructure it cannot just be about potholes and like utilities it can't be right so you have to expand the definition and then anyone that's winning any work around that we have to make sure first that they're digitized right like we the days of paper are over they have to be digitized they have to have an ability to collaborate in the cloud if possible, because we all know that on on prem in some ways is at risk. And so we have to be able to collaborate in the cloud and we need to build, rebuild some of these things using innovations like industrialized construction, right? Where we're gonna create factories, we get better working environments, we're not outdoors, you know, you're gonna get a more diverse work population in some of those factories and they're more innovative. We could do more with less if we just invest in that instead of just throwing money out wildly. Like to me, we should be throwing out money with strict caveats. And most of the countries are putting out guidelines like that.
0: Amy, how are you seeing the old guard migrating with this high hockey stick effect that we've actually seen in this COVID-19 era? Is the old guard ready to, to move on with what they did in the past to handing, it, handing the reins off to the millennials and the, the Gen Zs?
1: I mean, in some ways, I think they, they are forcefully cleansed out of their disbelief. Uh, if you did not prepare for this, it it took you by surprise and you realized how, and that's what I'm saying, like if you were a construction company, and you were not on the cloud and you had to go into your office because everything you had was on-prem or God forbid on paper, like uh, you will probably not be in business after this. It will be tough for you to come back from this. So right. I think it'll be a cleansing of sorts. I
0: was talking to a client yesterday, they still manage everything on paper and they still use Excel spreadsheets to, to mine all the data.
1: That's crazy, right? Like, I think about that and I go, what? But, like, it's all about the data, right? So, even in construction, design and construction, one of my biggest um, challenges and what we're working on now, especially at Autodesk, is moving construction and manufacturing and operations, all that information, all that data you need up into design right? Because we own the design platform of AutoCAD and Revit. We own the Autodesk Construction Cloud, the construction platform, and we own a lot of the manufacturing software and operations software like PLM and things like that and Inventor. So it's like, okay, you own all these amazing products that are connected functionally through things like BIM 360, but we've got to be able to move that data, that functional data through our product portfolio and start being predictive about things with our data, letting clients have causation for our data, letting them know when they're designing things, what it is by giving them options like we have of generative design and things like digital twin. And so it's like, I looked across and I was like, hey, I realized even in my space that I was in, it really is going to be all about the data. And in order to have data that functions well, it needs a framework to function within, right? And it needs like the greatest part about Autodesk is I feel like I don't have to sell people software. They already use it. You know already, like everybody uses it. So I just have to really work with them on their process, on how to connect this data and how to do it in the best format with the best thinking and the best culture, so that we start building things more productively, right? One like can say
2: one I, can say that people used Autodesk in order to fabricate, but now that they have Amy Marks, Autodesk <laughs> will prefabricate. Okay, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I'm saying like it really is about if you think about it, you know. It's, I always say I'm a, they call me the queen of prefab, but in reality, it has so many benefits to it that that's really why I love it. Not just because we're prefabricating things, but like, think about it. Like it's less waste. Construction produces an ungodly amount of waste in its construction process, right? Like I think we're like responsible for 40% of the waste that's in our landfills. It solves for that. We can pre-cut, pre-drill, pre, you know, or like everything. Like we don't have to have that much waste. We don't have to have, you know, we can have skilled labor at the point in which they're doing something in a factory. So industrialized construction actually doesn't mean prefab. It means the application of manufacturing techniques to the built environment, both design, construction, and operate, right? Like, so the cool part about what I'm doing now is that I really feel like I used to teach a great process and change in behavior and thinking, but now I have that attached to the most powerful tech stack in the world that allows for the functional you know, data to flow across it. You know? So
2: if there are any, if there are any kids today that just graduated from the marketing program at the university of Florida.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You guys
2: are 60% of the way there to uh, becoming the next <laughs> yeah. queen.
1: Do you know what I say to all those kids? Honestly, like, it's not about what job you get next or the next job or the next job. In some ways, focus on the skills that you wanna acquire because if you focus on jobs, you typically get caught in a lane, but you don't necessarily get the skills you want for what you wanna be when you grow up. And like most times you don't really know what you wanna be when you grow up, unless you're like, I wanna be an orthodontist. You know, That would've been easier for me if I knew. I didn't know I wanted to do this thing that didn't exist. By the way, Prefab Consultant, when I started, wasn't a thing. It didn't even exist. I was like, I just wanna be where no one else is. If you think about what you want to be and you think about what skill set that takes, I have been telling all my friends now when they write their resumes, write about what skills you have, what skills you want to gain, and also the culture of the organization that you're trying to be a part of instead of what job title you want, instead of where you want to be, because that's more important in your journey than anything else. I mean, I've had some weird jobs over the years that I'm like, that was the best job ever I had because now I can do this and I never would have thought about it you know, later. Don't go where the puck is. Go where the puck's going to be. I'm great at understanding where the puck's going. That's all for rugby. I was not fa- like fond of running all over the place. Like, is I there like, a puck in rugby? I can do really no, have No, no. My, I'm using right. a hockey now. <laughs> I was using hockey. But like in rugby, it's all about, for me, it was all about the angles, right? I'm like, I'm going to go the shortest distance possible to get what I want. And I feel like it's also a game where you have to like have a strategic overview of the whole field to understand like how to win. So, like, one thing about me is I just know how to win and what I want, where the puck is going, or where the ball is going to be, or any of those analogies you use in sports. Um, and that's more important. And in some ways, I think Autodesk recognizes, and 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 I love being there because they recognize that somebody who actually never built software understands better than anybody else probably where that puck's going to be because the I'm
2: programmers. Programmers are not the people that use the software 100 percent of the time. <laughs> right? So they, they're never the one. So the, who better than someone that uses the software,
1: right? Right. I mean, that's, the funny thing is, the good news is that Autodesk, I'm not the only one. I mean, that's good. You know, I, I used to think, look, when you lead teams, one of the things you you tell yourself is that people are irreplaceable, right? I had a great team and most of my guys worked for me for 15 years. And like, I've had my eyes open. There's like, there are a lot of amazing people out there in the world that do a lot of amazing things. And going to a big organization after being in lots of small organizations for the last twenty years has allowed me to like be like, wow, there's a lot of really smart industry people that are going to like. I would have never guessed they're all here. And and the more you speak out and put sunshine on your own thoughts, the more they are magnetically attracted to you, right? So that whole sunshine concept.
0: Absolutely, I believe this can go on forever. Uh, We (laughs) should actually have we should have a series of the Amy Marsh podcasts.
1: I you know why I love being on the show because like. I always say like, it's such a blessing to talk to like smart people that I, you said it in the beginning, smart people are people that say they know what they know and they'll go toe to toe on it with anybody, but they're also okay saying like, I don't know anything about that. You know, like I, I have, I can learn about it. I can hire somebody for it. I can talk to people, but if like, I'm the first one to raise up my hand and be like, I don't know anything about this, but teach me. And let's like, I can apply what I know to it, but I don't. Well, it's also love-
2: why one of the best skills is being able to explain, right? I mean, it's a, it's it's one thing for like the, the standard geek, the SNL uh, geek that, that was played by uh, Jimmy Fallon was like, yeah. move, get out of the way, let me do it. But it's that old, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you yeah. need to drink, to drink or, or, or whatever that metaphor is.
1: Yeah, we all want to learn. I mean, like, listen, you know, the funny part is all these bad behaviors that we see, I don't want to create a world that is there to protect us from every tiny exception, I truly, like, maybe this is the Pollyanna side of me that most people don't know. Like, I actually think most people show up every day to work and they're like, I want to do a good job today. Like, I think they do. And it's our responsibility as managers to create a place that is good for them to work at where they feel valued and they understand the definition of what good is and what success looks like and what they're supposed to do. And then we give them training and tools and that their job is well processed. Like, honestly, like I'm much nicer than most people make me out to be in the world.
0: We now know you're a really nice person.
1: I know. Don't tell anybody. It's kind of a Uh secret. I like when they're afraid. I actually think (laughs) it's easier. (laughs) Look at the end of the day, I I love what you're, promoting here, which is to be your authentic self and like to humanize, especially people like me, but to really get behind and know what drives people, because that's like, look, this is the equivalent of you getting to play golf with me for eight hours. Right. I should just exactly. like pass the podcast.
2: my God, I mean, Nabil might uh, have excelled at it, but my God, it would have been an embarrassing show for me if we were on the golf course. <laughs> uh,
0: I don't think I can handle eight hours of golfing, but this is certainly great. You know, being a rugby player. Yeah. Going to college for, Marketing and public relationships have an exposure and construction Mm -hmm. to data centers, yes, and technology. Yeah, what would you do different if you were queen for a day?
1: Well, I'm queen every day, but I I've like, you know, it's been a tough road. I won't say it was easy and I'm not proud of certain choices that I've made. Like you said, you've taken it on the chin before. I've taken it on the chin before. Like we've all taken it on the chin at some point in our life where we were less confident or we needed to take it on the chin for whatever reason. I wish I had taken it less on the chin sometimes. And probably like, I don't know, the one thing I might change is I think sometimes when you're, it's like you against the world, you think it's the world is everyone And like, sometimes like one of my, one of my really good women friends in the industry said, you're so nice to women in this space. Like you practice everything you preach. She's like, sometimes you're a little hard on the men. Like there are good men out there. Like, you know, that are not like part of the war against, you know, women and minorities. And I'm like, I know. And you know, like that was a long time ago and, and she was right. And I realized like, you know what, I have to be a little bit more open that every, every conversation is not that even though they may look like pale, male and sale, they might not be pale, male and sale. And so like we have our own, you know, um, thoughts to get over even as as champions of diversity and inclusion, right? So I try to be a little bit more open now and a little softer. Um, uh, I hate that phrasing. I probably regret um, maybe not giving people so much of a chance that I could have given a better chance. If I was really honest with myself and pointed the finger at myself, you know, I would say I could have given a better chance to some people that were probably on my side.
0: What would you tell the younger Amy Marks if you were to <laughs> run all over again?
1: I like she's impossible to talk to. No. Well, Me, you, pro- you have one. You have one in your house. So can we bring in? Can
2: we bring in the 11-year-old and bestow on her the wisdom that only a mother who has
1: experienced it can? I don't know. I would say to my younger self, like, don't be so hard on yourself. And I always say one of the things about carrying a big bat. If you're like one of those guys that carries a big bat in life, like I always did. You know, the person you use it most on is yourself. And it's like, when you do something wrong, I'm like my worst enemy and I could really beat myself up. So I would probably say like, you're going to make mistakes. Like just quickly get over it. Don't beat yourself up and just move on. You'll be so much better because that was a recurring theme. Like how much more capacity would they have in their brain every day if they didn't have to be so defensive or think what they said or how they spoke or how they sat or what they did or you know it's like i just want to tell myself like let it go like let it all go be your authentic self free up some brain space capacity and surround yourself with amazing people because you'll just get that much further my
0: daughter was right elsa was right let it go damn it amy this is exactly how the nomad futurist podcast started yeah new york city i'm from hawaii I'm laid back, and he's on the go, go, go. Just let it go, Phil. Right?
1: I can't. I'll,
2: I'll let it go when I move to Kona. It's easy to let it go
0: in Kona.
1: But, but, like, you're you. The stuff you have going on right now is like business stuff in your head, right? Like a lot of that stuff. Uh, and we run fast, and we do things quickly. Imagine like that, and then on top of that, you have to put all this stuff that you run in your head negatively about like your behavior or like being a woman in the space, being the only one, being the only minority in the space, sure. like that other stuff takes up so much space in our brain. You
2: see it now, this is going to be a weird comparison, uh, and I know we're running low on time, but you see it now, um, I'm in Brooklyn, right? So I take my, when I take my kids out during this kind of pandemic crisis, this idea of having to be hyper aware of having the mask on and touching things and then the, the, the hyper awareness element takes up so much space. And I, I can only imagine that pre-pandemic, if you were someone of a different race and you have you know, a different phraseology or, or whatever, and you have to be hyper aware of how you were saying everything because uh, of all that stuff. Yeah, there's no question about it. So hyper awareness really, is
1: not- I mean- Again, like, I don't think we can ever imagine what it's like to be a, you know, you can, obviously, Nabil, you're a different, you you have brown skin, as you said, and like- I thought you were pointing to me, is it you? Damn it. And, I, and you're, hey, like, if you say that out loud, that in other cases, this is, is like having brown skin and being a woman. But I think we, we've we had like some hint and some taste of what that's like, and it doesn't feel good, right? We're not our best selves. And I think that's the that's the thing I want to be in my life now, almost, I'm 40, I'll be 49 this summer. I want to be my best self every day. Like I want to surround myself with people that make me my best self. I want to do things that make me my best self. And I think COVID, because we've had a little bit of an opportunity not to like be running around the world, getting on planes, no. communi- like I bought a Pilates reformer that is in my house. And like, I had a luckily a Peloton before this. And I was like, you know what? This is really important to me. Like eating healthy and doing these things. I want to do that. And i being with my kid for dinner and things like that, that every it's, I think you're going to see a lot of people changing their life to be their best selves now because they just had a taste of what it's like by force. And that's good. We need that. We, In some ways, like I needed a time out. And listen, don't ever stop speaking out. That's my one thing I'm taking away from what's going on now. Be a voice for change in in whatever that means to you to make it a safe environment for other people.
0: Amy, so. thank you very much for joining us. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Thanks for taking the time.
1: Awesome. You guys rock. I love this. Let's do <laughs> <to> this <us> again. <laughs>
0: This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.